Hits 12 and up, season 11, episode 6A, with your host, Jonathan Malone, and guest host, Anthony Bartlett. 12 and up is a podcast of Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your host, Jonathan Malone, is the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island. Anthony Bartlett is the theologian in residence at the Bethany House, a project of the Wood Path Hope community in Syracuse, New York. This podcast is brought to you by the flannel one-piece union suit I'm wearing right now. It's laundry day, so all I've got to do a podcast in is a flannel one-piece union suit. And the number seven Beware the number seven, seven, eight, nine. Beware the number seven. And we're back. Uh, It's been a while since I've posted a podcast, and there's many reasons for that. Well, there's actually one reason for that. Haven't had time. I have a lot of things going on, and it was summer. So here I am. It's the very beginning of September. Uh, In the middle of the summer, I I recorded this podcast with Anthony Bartlett. It was a great episode, uh, good conversation, and I want to talk about that, and and I'll I'll gear that up for you in just a moment. But for the listeners, I do want to just share something with all of you. Uh, My schedule's gotten kind of hectic, and I'm wondering if I can continue this with saying the word, uh, like 12 more times. Regardless, my schedule's gotten pretty hectic, and I'm at a place where I need to decide about the future of this podcast. Uh, I've been doing this for 11 seasons, although episodes have parts A, parts B, so who knows how many seasons I've been doing this. I've been doing this for a while, and I know that there are many of you who do listen and enjoy the conversations I have with people, and I enjoy them as well. I would like to continue this podcast. I really would. Uh, but I, I need some help. Uh, and so I'm not sure what that help would look like. So right now, I'm just asking people to um, think about you know, my fellow listeners, loyal listeners. If you'd like to help keep this podcast going in some way, I'm, I'm not looking for money. This isn't like, please donate. Because you could give me money. In fact, well, you know, give me money. I'm, I'm not going to say no to that. But money can't buy time. And um, that's what I'm really looking at is if there's other people who would like to conduct interviews, um, help with the editing, uh, help find guests, do a lot of them, even the behind the scenes or the in front of the scenes. I don't have to do every episode of this podcast. There are many people who are listening who think, I think I could do a podcast. I think I'm funny and smart and witty. Maybe not as funny and smart as, and witty as Jonathan, but uh, I could get there. Well, let me know. So uh, in all seriousness, if you want to help keep this podcast going, this idea of having good conversations about Christianity and faith and the modern world, um, conversations that get deep but still have a, um, a lighthearted feel as well, um, conversations that feel that it's important to find those moments to laugh as well as to share your passion about what it means to be a Christian today or someone of any other faith. I've, uh, I think I've been open to that as well. Um, send me an email of ideas you have to help, uh, 12enough at gmail.com. I'll, I'll put this plea at the end of the podcast too. Okay. Um, Anthony Bartlett and I had a conversation this sum- summer about his book, Seven Stories. It was a, uh, it's a great book, good conversation. One problem, the sound. Something was up with the sound on, on Anthony's end, and I, I did the best I could, but it's gonna, the highs are pretty high, and it sounds like Anthony's talking through like a paper towel or something. I, I hope that you can listen through past the sound because he really brings a lot. He offers a lot of great ideas, and it was a really good conversation. Um, so I apologize for the sound, and I hope you enjoy this conversation I had with Anthony Bartlett. Mm-hmm. 
I'm here with Anthony Tony Bartlett. I'm here uh, virtually. He's at his home, the Bethany House. I'm at my home, the Malone House, uh, which the Malone House has no distinction whatsoever. It's just a place where the Malones live in Rhode Island. Um, Bethany House has distinction. Um, and uh, as you were, you were telling me, Tony, that's a place where you really strive to be teaching nonviolence uh, and, and creating a community that really embraces those, those ideals and virtues, right? That is correct. We, we've been uh, uh, building a community here in Syracuse, New York, uh, for uh, about 18 years. Um, but uh, in the past three years, we've been at Bethany House. We restored and built this place. This, um, it's a small center um, where we do uh, try to um, uh, advance uh, nonviolent theology, a theology of, uh, of peace and nonviolence, um, and, and teach that. Uh, and we do, we do have a, a community that supports us and that uh, supports this, this this effort and this work. And so, really, that's the, the place I am at at the moment when I'm speaking from mm -hmm. is Bethany House, which is both the home, my home, where I live with my wife Linda, and also the meeting center. We have an extension, uh, small extension, but that's where we meet and that's where we do the teaching. So, yeah. That's who we are. Excellent. And I'll, and I'll post the, the link for the website, woodhathhope.org, for people. So if they're in the Syracuse area, I'm sure you'd en enjoy a visit of some kind. You can look us up anytime. Just send us a message to make sure I'm here and not uh, have yeah. a couple of nobles or something like right. that. Right. And let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, I think it's fantastic. You have a community. We're going to talk about your book in a second. But you have a, a community working on nonviolence and peace and yeah. such. But when the snowplow leaves your your driveway plowed in how do you hold on to those virtues of nonviolence and peace at that moment well you, you must have experience with that because that does happen yeah <laughs> it actually happens a little less at bethany than it did at my my previous address okay and, and my back uh, bears the scars of, of shoveling out maybe two or three times a day uh, I mean, at the very worst, but it does carry those scars. Yeah. And, um, I, 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 whether whether my soul does in terms of having sworn about that, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I have to leave that to God to know that. But I know my back has this. Yeah. Scar. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that's something only a particular group of people from a certain part yeah. of the country would really understand. Even I, they say having to shovel three or four times a day. I know. Um, that's, well, that's the very worst. I don't want to give Syracuse a bad reputation, but I mean, that's, that's the worst it can be. Yeah. And oftentimes, like now, it's beautiful. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Syracuse is a great, great place to live. Um, yeah. Wonderful town, great community. I don't think we have to worry about you giving it a bad reputation. They've done that on their own, uh, in their own way. So, but you've, what I, I we're here to, to, for the conversation, to start with this book that you wrote, um, this really excellent book, Seven Stories. How to, how to Study and Teach the Nonviolent Bible. Um, and it's published by Hope Time Press. So this book, Seven Stories, uh, I, you know, some of the things I really, we're in, I mean, it, it's a great book. I really enjoyed reading it. I really did. So I'm not here to say, here's what's wrong. Not at all. Uh, but I want to really point, some of the things I really liked about it, and this is for our audience to know as well, um, this is really, I saw, you have it set up really nicely as kind of a teaching tool, a curriculum. Uh, and, and you could have all the students purchase copies, which of course is what you prefer. Um, or you could have just the teacher purchase one copy and then guide students through. But don't be cheap. Uh, people buy the, everyone should get the book. Right. Uh, one of the things, and, and so it's, it's listed, it's, it's a nice little... Um, uh, you know, lessons with, with subparts for each lesson. Uh, one of the things I really liked about it, at the end of each lesson, you have um, further references. And the cultural references you have are brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And that must have been so, for example, I'm looking here on, on page 47. This is after um, the, the lesson three on original violence. And your cultural references. One of them is one of the uh, a movie called The Hunt, which I didn't know if anyone else in America actually saw this movie. Um, I had seen it, and I was really yeah. I don't. It's a uh, what now? Is it um, Danish? Isn't it um, Swedish or or uh, Norwegian or something like that? Or I think it may be. 
it's a foreign film and there's uh, subtitles. That's all I know. Um, but it's a great movie, and um, and and you're using it as a cultural reference. I think is quite quite good. I'm well, also all that flows from another book that I wrote earlier on. It's called Virtually Christian. Oh, okay. And uh, which is also referenced in some stories, which is the whole uh, thesis of that book is that um, the uh, nonviolent message of the gospel, the kind of revelation of of nonviolence, is pervasive in culture. It's not just, and even perhaps not even primarily, a um, a church thing or, or mm. religious thing, even though it is a profoundly theological thing. So it, it's kind of structurally part of the, the theology that there. There will be cultural references. You'll find this in culture. So that's interesting. That's kind of a, th this idea that humanity is drawn towards, or there are aspects of humanity is drawn towards a more nonviolent way of being. That, right. that, that feels like a kind of spin on, so you have, you have Rahner's anonymous Christian, right. which I know he didn't use that term at all, but we've uh, ascribed it to him. But the idea that all humans anthropologically are drawn towards God. Yes, right? that's correct. And, and what I hear you saying then is all humans are not just drawn towards God, but are drawn towards that understanding and relationship with God, which desires nonviolence. Yes, and, and the advance on Rana is, I mean, that Rana constructed that theology, uh, as, as you know, um, from kind of basically what they call transcendental Thomism, which is the whole kind of like Aquinas Thomistic view, right. very, very kind of composite God humanity view everything is is included in that theology but then uh, Rana developed that more through um, uh, the, 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 the lens of, of Kantian philosophy in the way in which uh, our minds are kind of basically structured uh, what he calls transcendentally but this the, the approach of, of, of uh, virtually Christian and then of course seven, seven stories is actually much more kind of grounded in actual anthropology in the behavior and even the primitive behavior of human beings. So it's really a, a primitive, um, what you call a kind of um, seminal anthropology about the way in which human beings got to be human beings. It's not, it's not primarily a philosophical viewpoint. It's, a, it's a, a, an analytic anthropological viewpoint, which of course we get from René Girard, whom we will be talking about, I'm sure. But the, the, the thing is, it's, a, it's mm. a, quite a different approach from, even though, of course, they converge, they, those viewpoints would converge, for right. sure, that we were headed towards God in some kind of way. But when you're dealing with um, the issue of violence and the issue of uh, the, the problem and the difficulty of non-violence, how do you become a non-violent human species when our species has been so incredibly violent? Mm -hmm. That becomes much more demanding and, and less kind of airy fairy, uh, and, and, and more more of, of a challenge, a real challenge in the time we, we live. So yes, there there are parallels, but I think um, you know what we're, we're doing is is actually much more grounded, and it's also biblically grounded. Okay, and that wasn't meant for all you Ranarian scholars out there. That was not meant as a dig towards Ronner. Oh, of course not. I love Ronner. Yeah. <laughs> translate
So, so um, uh, it's, it's very positive and affirming about the world scene, you know, and, and who we are as human beings. Right. So, and, I, and I got my training from that. Oh, okay. I, that's how I was trained, and that's, that is my basic theological viewpoint, which you'll find in Virtually Christian. And Gerard didn't really embrace that. It was in some ways like post-Vatican Council, you know, a kind of reaction that we saw with John Paul II, all that kind of stuff. Again, Catholic world stuff. Right. Uh, that, that he seemed to be more part of. Um, so anyway, that's an aside. <laughs> right. Well, that's all right. This this podcast is all about the asides and not okay, the... <laughs> okay. All right. And well, that's a very interesting question and, and something that could be discussed a lot among... Uh, Gerardian scholars and, and, and people who know Gerard or think about Gerard in, in, in church terms, yes. Well, I think it, it's an excellent, I, I, I like the trajectory of that question also, and I didn't plan that, uh, but uh, because it, it does kind of overlap with one of the basic, what I saw as one of the basic projects or, or, or uh, one of the basic things you're trying to do with scripture yeah. in, in this book. And, and it seems to be suggesting a development of uh, or, or an unfolding that's better yes, yes. Of, of revelation Good word. Yep. yeah I don't want to say develop I was going to go to development of doctrine but that's yep. different that's no, it's, it's like a flower or a plant unfolding and yes yeah. the, 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 the structure of it I mean if you look at a plant in the early spring it just a little shoot but little by little you see this enormous structure right emerging, and uh, that's what makes it that plant etc so that's a good yeah, and, and I love how um, – I'm not going to be all happy about your book. I mean, I, we'll have not – like I said, I, I enjoyed the book. It was very good. But this isn't, gonna, this isn't a sycophant kind good. of good. podcast, just so I mean, listeners know this. Um, I, do, I do really love how you are using Scripture to inform Scripture. Yes. Uh, which is a, a very deliberate choice to make, and I think an honest one. Yeah. Um, I, I think the majority of people that – are, and the majority of Christians that read Scripture um, with any salt and and interpret it are using do use Scripture to interpret Scripture, and yeah. perhaps the best example we have of that is Paul. Yes, uh, the, <laughs> that's enormous, enormous kind of working at Scripture. I mean, kind of bending it and twisting it basically. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, go ahead. Right, right, which gives us which does which kind of like opens the doors for us to say there there is more than one way to read the Exodus story. There's more yep. than one way to understand um, the Garden of Eden and Cain of Abel. Uh, so well, that's essentially the Protestant position beginning with Luther, mm -hmm. that you have to understand, understand Scripture through Scripture. That you that if there's a difficult bit that, that you don't understand, you go to something else to understand it. Right. So I, 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 I appreciate that view. And I appreciate the honesty you take with that. Um, it, instead of saying, I'm just going to look at the text, you know, Divorced from everything else. Right. Uh, one of the things I really liked um, is also you're using um, something like so. When we, we oftentimes you know growing up in a in a Protestant evangelical context, a liberal one, but still Protestant evangelical uh, to a degree. Um, whenever we would read the Suffering Servant songs, the songs of the Suffering Servant, we would always look at them as uh, we would then say Christ is looking back. Right, um, you know, to say, you know, I, we would say they're kind of forward-looking, but um, really, what we see is fulfillment with Christ. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Understand, yeah. Uh, but what I saw, the nuance that I I saw you bringing with those is actually we, we could read about Jesus, and then we go back to this is this is really nuanced, but we go back to the Isaiah passage of the suffering servants, and now we can now see Jesus through a different lens. Right. Rather than just being a one way, but now there's a a, a, a back a give and take. With Absolutely, the way she... those passages are informative in their own right. You don't have to uh, have a kind of dogmatic view that the that you see Jesus uh, in terms of Christian dogma, and then everything else just kind of flows into that, and you don't see the uh, the roots and actually the the development of. Mm -hmm. Emergence of, of revelation. Right. Words, these are moments of revelation: the, the, the suffering servant, or the non-violent servant, uh, the book of Daniel, uh, Job. These are moments of revelation in their own right. Yeah. And and Jesus looked back to them, 
and learn from them. He was actually informed by them. He could not be Jesus unless he had that stuff. Right. Yeah, and I, Jonah was the big one for me. The the way of a second, it's almost like a second reading of Jonah, a second revelation of Jonah through Christ. Because, yeah, I could read Jonah on its own, and I do, and I get a lot of different lessons from it. It's very good. But then after the revelation of Christ, I look at the Jonah story with different eyes. Right, yes. You know, and, and, and because Jesus used Jonah. I mean, it's yeah. very, very apparent that that was a reference point for him. And it's kind of mysterious what he says until you try to unpack it and see, well, what was he actually referring to? Right. So one of the challenges that I found in reading your in, in, in reading your book and that that under that hermeneutics and I like I wouldn't even say it's 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 not a linear hermeneutics it's more of a circular, yeah, of, yep. you know, yeah, circular and unfolding. I'm giving you all these words that you can use now, Tony, when you talk about <laughs> because because if you're talking, you see, I mean, the fundamental or the kind of the root position is that human beings are being changed. Right. Uh, it, it's the theory of humanity and the theory of human change. And um, human beings are really hard to change, as we all know. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, your own personal life is hard to change. And if there's somebody you're living with or, you know, dealing with and you'd like them to change and you say, you need to change. And it's very hard for them to change or change. So, but if we want to change collectively, it's even more difficult because I, I would think because we have certain structures in common that define, and, we're the, and they're, they're kind of below the level of, of consciousness, really. They're, mm -hmm. they're explicit structures about how who we are as human beings. Right. It's very hard to bring them to the level of, of critical awareness and, and, and to change them. And that's what we're saying in the Bible. The Bible is engaged not so much getting us to heaven, although I don't. I mean, I personally want to go to heaven, but... Sure, you know, whatever that might be, yeah. Where it is, you know, and, and how it... Not if, but where and how it is. Um, but I think much more crucial to the Bible is that is that lifting up of, of what we are as human beings and subjecting it to critical awareness, which is very difficult, you know, you turn to yourself and say, I want to look at myself critically. No way do I want to look at myself critically. And if humanity is trying to look at itself critically, that's even more difficult. But that's what, and really, if you think about Paul, and that's, that will take us off on another tangent, but Paul was all about it. That's what he's talking about, a completely new template right. for being human. And that's why he drives everybody nuts, because people don't understand what he's talking about. So do you think, uh, I mean, so Scripture is capturing moments in time. Yes. And also... Um, the, the way those moments in time intersect with the divine and the eternal. Right. And so I would, I would say, I don't know if you said this explicitly, but I, I see it in your writing in, in the book itself, but I would say these are moments when God is breaking through with revelation. Amen. Yes. I mean, I, I, I think that is, that is correct. Uh, it's, it's, you know, what you could call a mystery, man, actually, how does it happen? Uh, how does God communicate this? But we know in terms of, 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 of faith, of a biblical faith, that it does happen. Yeah. Because you have this progression, and you have these huge moments. I mean, of course, the, 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 the basic one is, is the Exodus, is, is when this nobody, this, 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 this uh, irrelevant, unimportant, uh, uh, rejected, uh, oppressed people um, became a people. And yeah. Right. They may have a law, which is a way, a way of being human, uh, that was not the same as the Pharaoh or anybody else. And of course, it's a huge project to get underway, but I believe that's what the Exodus was about. And everything else is, mm -hmm. is really flows from that. Right. Yes, definitely. And um, so what I'm wondering is, you know, we, we put the, that, that moment, we put the scriptures in a certain category. In, and I think part of our tendency is to say, so God is no longer being revealed. And, and probably you and I would both say... It's like now. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. okay. yeah. You know, or are there those um, seismic moments? Yeah. You know, I would say the Reformation was one of those, at least for Western Christianity, the Reformation was one of those seismic moments um, that we're still reeling from. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... Once you begin to look at this stuff in in this light, that 
um, you have the you have the primitive emergence of humanity, and mm -hmm. I'm just an article today that it's it's probably older than we thought. You know, it's not two hundred thousand years old. It's it's more than that. It goes back well, not not a hundred thousand, not hundred fifty, but 200,000. 200, you know, the 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 slow march of humanity. If, if, mm. And, and then slowly it begins to accelerate, and over the past, say, since the, the, um, the Iron Age began, you know, around about the time of Moses, that it accelerated enormously rapidly. And it is that, at that point that certain aspects of being human become intolerable to some people. Hmm. And, uh, and that is the oppressed, those who don't count, those who don't belong to the sacred order of things, those who are not the priests, the kings, the describe the courtiers, you know, and those who don't have a stake in the land, those who are... So th those things become intolerable, and then, and it's at that moment that this radical newness breaks into the world. That's what the Bible is about, is that in this, in this slow march of humanity, something radically new breaks in at that point. Right. And, and, it's, and, it, and it says the work that, of, of being human is by no means finished. In fact, it's only just started. Right. So, so, so you you have these seismic moments, as you say, and of course Jesus is, was at the fullness of time that 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 hour under the Roman Empire, that incredibly powerful empire, and that that critical moment with Judaism when they couldn't stand it anymore and they were they were, they were going to rebel and that, that those I can't imagine what the tensions were like at that point in time, you know, right. in, in Palestinian Judaism, they must have been enormous, and then Jesus comes at that point. But then, of course, then, as you're saying, is that then flowing from that is, is Western history, is, and now it's global history, and there are certain moments when that has been, these issues become more and more critical, yes. Is, is it appropriate for us to give a similar kind of authority to those seismic moments as we do Scripture? Well, uh, I, I, I find the Scripture very important, personally, strangely, it's strange for me because I come from a Roman Catholic background, <laughs> which is, you know, I, I suppose I've become in a certain, I mean, in, in that sense, and that's of, of embracing Scripture as my primary reference for for God's revelation. Mm. I've become Protestant. I've become theologically Protestant. Sure, I, sola scriptura. And that, that's right, and I think that happened in the uh, 16th century for, for enormously good reasons. So yeah. So yes, it's it's when this 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 um, this current this uh, this uh, this flow of energy you might call it in in, in the biblical story, and you, mm -hmm. it's all about trying to read it to find that current of energy that that is a transformative current. These break up these 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 arise in our Western history at key moments. And right. They, they did arise and certainly in the Reformation, caused a huge upheaval in. Europe and, and then really that was still working itself out. But I think this moment now is another moment when when those when that this moment in time twenty first century is when that transformative power or, or current of energy in, in the scriptures is is uh, breaking up a new uh, breaking out anew to create something new. You think the emergence of these communities really dedicated to nonviolence, I mean um, communities such like yours are are some of that new thing that's happening? Absolutely, I think so. And you know, like, I, you know, there's so many aspects of it. But you, you know, the the cultural expression "hater." You're yeah, right. yeah. You're a hater. You're a hater, right? Right. <laughs> Even our president, God bless him. Yep. He, he uses that expression, you know. And, and right. The and then everybody uses it. Now, say, when I was a kid, or you know, in my twenties, no. No, even up to my forties, no one used. No, they wouldn't even understand what that, that, that expression was. Right. I hate this. I hate that. Right. But to be a hater as a bad thing is a cultural is a cultural emergence. You know. Hmm. Of course, if you could accuse someone of being more of a, you, you're the hater. You've got the problem. Right. Uh, right. Then, then, then you you have a kind of cultural power over that that person that situation. But what what I'm saying is that this is a language right. of hate and anger. That we're now identifying as a problem, as problematic. Of course, we, we haven't got the solutions, but we more and more we're focusing on violence as an issue. 
And, and these are cultural cues or, or, or cultural references that allow us to see that's happening. And, and, and of course, cult, um, uh, social media makes uh, uh, amplifies that enormously. So yes, uh, this is this is a moment in time when 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 violence is becoming a real issue. So this could be, I mean, that could be a hopeful view of the um, the polarization of our of our culture. Yeah. That yeah, because you because when when someone digs into truth, yeah, um, and I, I think you know uh, you know you will have that reaction of that that almost opposite emotional reaction from some, you know. So you know, so Jesus comes along and says, "There's a way of being true to God, right. but we're not quite there." And and you have this visceral reaction from many, right. saying like, "No, no, no." And and I think scapegoat theory kind of ties into this to a degree so uh, yeah because part of I, i've been i you know personally i've been very concerned about the polarization of our society the lack of people to talk to each other and listen to each other but what i hear yeah, i don't think you're saying this directly but one of the things i'm taking out of what you're saying is you know if people are if there are if there are communities and individuals who are really hearing how god is revealing this next thing amen yeah. um that the reaction is going to be um, violent. Yes, I mean, and, and the reaction is violent for two reasons. One is that we've always been violent, mm -hmm. so that's the default setting. Uh, and when you try, uh, if, if you try to challenge that or change it in any way, then um, it's like almost like the, the body's um, uh, immune system. You know, it, it reasserts right. itself. In, in, in the body politic, this is the way in which we remain immune from whatever is bad. You know, the enemy, whoever the enemy is. So we'll, we'll that that will re, re, uh, reassert itself in in that situation. So that's the first reason. It's, it's a default setting. The second is is that um, part part of the default setting is that we're always looking for scapegoats, people to blame. Mm -hmm. If someone sing, singles themselves out. As, uh, as provocative within the situation and destabilizing for the, situ for, for the situation, that person will become the new scapegoat automatically. So as Gerard says that about Jesus, Jesus was, was bound to be the scapegoat because he, he, um, he challenged the, 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 powers, the power structures of, of his time and, and the ones that claimed to be of God, he said, and, and suggested they were not. And so immediately, immediately the, uh, the forces would unleash themselves, were bound to unleash themselves against him. So yes, it, 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 it's, it, that, that will happen. That, it, that, and that harkens back to um, that understanding of, of the way things emerge, harkens back to an, um, an Anabaptist kind of conviction in very ways. Now, not, you know, these are the good Anabaptists, not the Anabaptists who did the... The, yeah, the peasants' revolt and all that. Um, yeah, Munza, yes, right. Uh, no, but the Anabaptists who were um, yeah. really committed to not taking oaths, to being nonviolent, to not having weapons, and saying, "We know that this is going to be so radical that people are going to hate us." Right, and so both Catholics and Protestants kill them. <laughs> yes, That's yeah. One point in which they both agree. <laughs> right, and even so, yeah, in, in uh, I, part of the funny. The, the the history of American uh, uh, Christianity, you know, with, especially in the South, it was cat, it was uh, Baptist and Methodist that were always arguing with each other. They were competing. Okay. Um, this is this would be like the 1830s, 1840s. But the th one thing that united them, if Catholics weren't there, first they'd be united, like, well, we all hate the Catholics, and that's a given. Um, you know, like we moved beyond that. But the other was, at least we're not Quakers. Oh, really? That was. <laughs> And, and I don't know if I wouldn't trace Quakers back to the Anabaptists, but there are certainly similarities with the Quaker ethos, especially in America with ab abolitionists um, and, and those Anabaptist Quakers saying, we are going to be a different kind of people and live a different way, and we know that's going to make people hate us. Right, right. So, yes, it's, it's, it's easy to um, become the new persecuted if you, if you take those positions. But, of course, our society now is so... Fragmented uh, all the time. I mean, it's like that everybody's looking to accuse the other of something or other, you know, and, and it happens so quickly. 
in the past that kind of mobilization would have taken time, but now right. it happens rapidly. Um, that is, you know, one is succeeded by another very, very quickly. And uh, so uh, that, I, that I hope um, in terms of, well, this, this crazy moment we're in, uh, will allow this new thing or this new understanding of what, of what it means to be uh, a Christian or a follower of Jesus and follow that biblical stream of revelation, this has a chance to emerge uh, when in, in the context of that kind of um, that frenzy of, of accusation that goes on all around us and, and you really don't know where to look or who, who to pay attention to, you know, like the whole thing of fake news, the, the, the breaking down of of uh, traditional trusted sources of truth, all that. This is a moment when something something genuinely new can, ar- can arise. And so it's a kind of precious moment in terms of preaching the gospel, I think, is that mm. if this, the, 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 it's not so much what happens when we die, mm-hmm. you know, whether your soul is going to go to heaven, uh, whether you will be uh, resurrected, with, you know, it's all important stuff and it's part right. of the, the tradition. But the, the crucial question today for Christians and for Christianity is how can it respond with its, its deep sources of anthropological transformation to this crazy moment of, of uh, destabilization and, um, and frenzy that we're in. And so it becomes like this is, this is a moment of the gospel, this is a moment of, uh, of the new um, being able to arise. Right. So one of the things I... I... I like about that emphasis rather, I mean, I, I agree that, I mean, the, the idea of, uh, you know, salvation, heaven, resurrection, that all is very important and, and that informs the hope that we live with each and every day. That's all. Uh, but it really is on how do we be human? Yes, that's exactly right. That's the question. And, what, is, what, what does it mean to be human? And, and I think that gives, so a lot of times when I'm involved in interfaith dialogue, which I tend to dread, um, because interfaith dialogue Oftentimes, and you know, tends towards this, you know, lowest common denominator. Um, yeah. Let's just hug it out, sing kumbaya, and say everything. Kind of law, and then, you know, who yeah, cares? yeah, exactly, exactly. But but I think, you know, and one of the things you hear again and again is like, well, we all share the golden rule. Yeah. Which yeah. kind of yes, but there's nuance. Every you know, each faith tradition seems to have a slightly different spin on it. But one of the things I think. I'm pulling out of this conversation is it seems that the different faith traditions are really focused on how do we be fully human? Yeah. With, yeah. With, you know, with Islam, it's, how, it's submitting to God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With Judaism, it's, you know, being God's people. You know, yeah. with, with Christianity, it's, it's, what do we do? We, we try to follow Jesus, right? Yeah. Uh, right. You know, I, I can't speak. To be the new human right. in, in Christ. Right. You know, you know Buddhism. Um, reaching, you know, nirvana in whatever way. Hinduism, I don't know enough to say, but I, a little bit I know it's, it's still like being fully human, however that's understood. And, and while there are going to be metaphysical differences and theological differences, and why I'm, I'm always, I'm a little reluctant to say it's one God being revealed in various ways, because I don't want to impose that on other faith traditions. There's something I can really work with, is to say each faith tradition says, how do we be human? Um, and, 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 and there are similarities and differences there, but that's, that's much more exciting in, in my mind. Exactly, it is incredibly exciting, and I think it, it, it belongs very specially, or very properly, shall I say, to the Abrahamic traditions, to yeah. Islam and Judaism. Now, we're biased, of course, towards that. <laughs> well, yeah, but there's no, there's no harm in affirming it, mm. because, because there's you know, lots and lots of them, and if, if, yeah. they, if we come together on that basis... And I mean, I, we do interfaith stuff with uh, Muslims here, or Turkish Muslims, and mm, that, good. they come out of the Sufi tradition. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, and they're they're very big, and some of their their um, their mentors, their holy men, are saying that um, when Christianity and Islam and Judaism come together, then the world will be transformed. You know, because so that's not to exclude others, but that would definitely be a step on the right <laughs> step on the way. Right. That, and we see our, uh, we have a common uh, project in, in those terms. So, and that brings me to my, my one big um, stumbling block with your book. <laughs> we got there. And, and that was the idea of, um, of supersessionism. Uh, because, I mean, you, 
I, you really do a, an excellent job laying out a, a particular hermeneutics and one in which Christ is an important lens through which other parts of the Bible is read. Really, yes. And, and, and I think that's very appropriate as a Christian. Yeah. Very appropriate. And, and, and then the Bible, also, as we said before, reads Christ when you begin yeah. to understand it. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, and as I was reading it, that was my, my concern in the back of my mind was, well, what does this do for the Jews and, the way, and reading Scripture without the New Testament? You know, it, it, I don't know if you have an immediate response. I don't know if this question has come up for you at all. Well, it's, it's always been in the back of my mind. I mean, okay, no, good, good. No, no one has articulated it before, but I knew it was out there. I, yeah. I knew writing the book and, and, and writing it the way we did, or I did, and you know, my wife contributed an awful lot together with me. She, you know, she's the editor, and she made me write short sentences, that kind of thing. <laughs> we need people like that to say, <laughs> you don't need to say it like that. Make it I just love, love supporting the clauses, man. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> writing that, I was very much aware. What, what, what is, what is this? How do you then view Judaism? Yeah. If you, if you see the Bible as this um, revelatory stream yeah. that is uh, bringing to the surface this issue, and then you get to Jesus, you know, as a Christian, it's easy to, I mean, it's not just easy, it's beautiful for me mm. to, to say, yes, Jesus kind of got it. And right. not only did he get it, he did it, you know, he... He went across, he said, I have to go to Jerusalem to suffer. And everybody said, what? What do you mean by that? That's not what happens. That's not what a Messiah does. So, but he, he, he decided alone, incredible kind of authenticity to himself and to his understanding. He, he decided to do that. Yeah. So, and then, of course, you get the flowering of Christianity from his death and his resurrection. I mean, there has to be something because this is explosion of, of movement of people who say, you know, faith in Christ is a trans hugely transformative event, and I, um, you know, with the Pauline thing, the law that is not necessary in anymore, and in fact, it, 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 it returns you to things that you should have outgrown. This is the new humanity, etc. So I knew there was a question there, a big question about Judaism. But if you look at the method of the book, mm -hmm. um, they, all these are Jewish questions. Yeah, so they are. All, everything that, in the seven stories, it's called seven stories, everything that happens in the course of those seven stories is a Jewish issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It belongs to Jewish history all the time, all the way through to the New Testament. That's a bit of Jewish history as well. Of course, there was, there was a parting of the ways, but it was a Jewish uh, explosion of meaning right. that created that difference and that between Judaism and Christianity. So it was a Jewish... Um, eruption, as you say, in a seismic moment um, or uh, uh, event that caused that. So, so my my response then to to then to what you were saying to that you know dreaded word supersessionism, um, you know, are you being supersessionist and not behind, not far behind that is anti-Semitism? You know, and I, and I, there's no sense, there's no hints of that at all, though, in your in your book. And I don't that was uh, no because. Because as you go through this, you feel, or I feel, more and more Jewish. Not, oh, yeah. not in a racial sense, mm -hmm. but in the anthropological, um, meaningful sense. Oh, know, fantastic. The, yeah. The, 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 the crisis, the crisis of humanity, especially um, in, in the book, in the seven stories, we, we make so much revolve, and it's not just me, of course, I mean, scholarship says this as well. Uh, so much revo uh, revolves around that moment of exile when, when Jerusalem was destroyed, the city was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and they were carried. So that becomes this huge concentrating moment. Yeah. An existential crisis out of which uh, those four great, what we call the the, um, the major prophets, um, Isaiah, or second Isaiah anyway, and uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel eventually all yep. arise. Um, so it's a, it's a huge moment in, in their experience. And so, uh, and, and then what it becomes for me, it becomes revelatory of my own experience, of mm. my, my own kind of, uh, uh, my own story, my human story.
shall we say, to, to England and to Ireland. I mean, that's so we could all we could all look to similar crises. Right. But it's not, it's not it's not simply that. It's not simply that you know these are Jewish questions which then represent human questions. It's that even today, so it's like you could say, and of course this goes to people's heads. Well, if Jesus um, fulfilled the scriptures, and he fulfilled them perfectly, mm. and uh, forever after the determining question is, what do you say about me? <laughs> What do you say about how, right. how do you respond to the Christ? Right. Uh, and you need to, you have to respond because that is that is the true human in, in the language that I would use. That it's not that the way that question is phrased and, and has been under, has been understood has been understood in dominantly uh, religious and political terms, the religious political terms. In other words. Which gang, which which right. organization that that claims to express this do you belong to? Right. If you're Jewish, you obviously do not belong to any of the gangs. Right. Uh, and, and you're fair game in Europe and and, and Russia, in, in in those since the Middle Ages, you're you're fair game for persecution. Right. So that's that horrible story that we've got as Christians. That and Christians really, I mean, are. Like the Jews, in many ways, the Jews were the ones who were held to the fire of this revelation. It's a very unpleasant place to be. Mm. And Christians, with less resources, have also been held to the fire. But what they've done is, is they deflected from the fire by saying, it's your fault and we need to burn you. Right, <laughs> right, yeah. And and so we've, we've had a very, very, very poor track record of responding to this thing. To finish my point, it's not just in terms of these are Jewish questions, Jewish uh, crises that are replicated in human experience. Is there that the Jewish voice and the Jewish people right. are are working this stuff out on many other levels? It's not just the religio-political level. Right. Yeah. It's. I mean, uh, I I I was. Um, I did my PhD at Syracuse University, and uh, there was quite a strong Jewish influence there. And I was, I was very much affected by the reading of Levinas, Emmanuel Levinas. Oh, and, sure. And Jack Derrida. Yeah. These are, and they're, they're not the only ones. I mean, you can mention a lot of them. Um, these are these are prominent Jewish thinkers who are affected by that background, who are more sensitive, I think, mm -hmm. to their history, especially Levinas, uh, to the crisis of what it means to be a Jew. <laughs> Yeah, and the crisis, therefore, of humanity, that what how they articulate stuff brings all. So the cultural references are not just you know to back up the the biblical source. It is the the, the Jews, as far as I'm concerned, are doing biblical work. Right. They're doing this fundamental anthropological work, and that's why uh, Paul says, um, you know, we kind of need to hang around for them. You know, we need because we're not going to get it until they get it. Right, and it's not they've got to get Jesus to get in the sense of that dogmatic sense. It's that this revelatory movement of transformation that their God, right, Yahweh, began for us. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, one of the things I love when I when I wrestle with the idea of supersessionism, yeah, um, and and I and um, yeah, there there's nothing anti-Semitic about your book at all, <laughs> it, right. and and it's um, I I think most readers may not even have that question. <laughs> But which is which is good, which speaks highly to the scholarship. Um, but it, you know, it's still something. Whenever doing, um, that's one of the things I always have in the back of my mind when I'm trying to figure out what's a, a, a consistent hermeneutics of scripture. Right, right. Um, I love when Paul does talks about being grafted onto the tree of yes. Abraham. Yeah, right. Um, you know, so James McClendon, one of my favorite theologians, um, he talks about that. You know the covenant. You know through through Christ we are brought into we're, we're brought into this new covenant, but it's really the covenant that God had with Abraham. Right. Yes. So that goes even before the covenant with Moses, yeah. and and so I think your answer like these are Jewish questions makes yeah. so much. I mean that was the that was the answer I was looking. For. I didn't know that's what I wanted. I didn't know what the answer was, but yeah. that's what I need to hear. I'm like, oh, of course, it makes sense. And I love as a human being being part of that Jewish tradition. But yeah. it is, it's, it's, it's not like I have to become a Jew. 
Right. I hear the questions of humanity raised by them more profoundly. You know, when we're looking at Abraham, we're looking at Moses, we're looking at Isaiah, we're looking at the writer of Daniel, we're looking at Jesus. These people are raising these questions right. in, a, in a more profound and provocative way than anybody else. Right. So I, I, I'm glad to be, I, I belong to that, you know, I yeah. belong to the tradition. So that's, and that's what I think, so we say it's through Christ that we can participate in the, in the questions and in the history and in the revelation that we find in Exodus and with Daniel and w uh, with the, the Babylonian exile and, and those right. sorts of things. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've kind of, the Jewish experience, beginning with those um, displaced and, and uh, uh, no-count people, the, the, yeah. the Hebrews who might... Recognize or think are the other the, the popular name for them was Happy Rude and then became, became Hebrew. Right. Uh, um, that that moment in which a God, some some transcendence says, "Why with you guys?" Right. It was an amazing. I mean, that is a that is the moment. I mean, when when God says to Abraham, "Just one. I just want you to follow one God." That is huge. That is totally. Huge. That is a gigantic shift. It yeah, is, it's it's a split run right down the middle of your soul, and and you begin to see what's really at work in your soul and, and the human soul, and the human proclivity to kill in order to be, to kill in order to be. I mean, you can just make it right. as simple as that. We we kill in order to be, uh, and then God uh, slowly revealing, no, you love in order to be. Now that's a completely different way of being human. Yeah. And, it's hard to learn. It's very hard to learn. But we have we have the blueprint. We have the we have the um, the manual. Yep. <laughs> Teaches to that progression and, and that that revelation, which of course also has to be lived out in community because you, it's not just a matter of uh, conceptual. It's a matter of, of trying to be in those relationships with others. You know? So, so I have one other question. Then we can start to wrap up. But um, the the role of the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be prominent. <laughs> oh, it comes right at the end. Yeah, I saw, yeah, so near the end, you have the Holy Spirit, um, yeah. around page 82, I, I wrote actually, down. Actually, actually uh, Jonathan, as I was writing it, and I got to the end, I, I thought that. It's another, it's another way you kind of, I thought, we need to put something in here about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so maybe that's the next book. I, yeah. I mean, I think, so, yeah, yeah, your chapter on wisdom. Yeah. Um, and, and I think once I think you make a little bit you make that connection like wisdom yes. is the spirit I think that was very good very strong chapter in that sense yeah. uh, you know of course my concern is, as a good um, fairly orthodox God help me I've become orthodox in my theology but I yeah. guess that's part of getting older um. <laughs> that is wisdom is getting I mean it's not like when you talk, when you say orthodox I am sure that does not mean hidebound Rigid no, no, but it means I grew up reading Tillich and and and, yeah, and dabbling oh. in process theology, and now I'm saying like maybe they went a little too far in some places. Yeah, right, right. I still love Tillich, and I think process theology has some value and merit. But uh, uh, my only my only pushback with the wisdom is that we don't want to uh, we don't want to constrain the Holy Spirit to say it's just wisdom. Oh no! Right, and I didn't—I didn't hear that from you at all from the from your writings. I, I didn't get that from your writings. Well, what what I said at the end—I mean, I know it is—it's quite because you're, what you're looking at is a great sweep. I mean, this yeah. book, this book is written. I. You can I, only I, do so I, much. Sorry. You can only do so much in one and book. It's, and it's written against fundamentalism. That's that's what is written. Against. Oh, so there's the discourse. That's the, that's the discourse because. I, as a kind of like ex-Catholic, yeah, and um, finding so much richness in this, in the in the biblical story in the biblical texts, right? Know that the dominant um, understanding of the Bible out there is a fundamentalist. If you if you look in the secular world, yeah, when, when they make a biblical reference, they understand it, they'll see it, they right. like the apocalypse, uh, not yeah. as a revelation of God and revelation of Christ, right. revelation of humanity. They'll see it as violence, right? So, so um, this book is, is written to, sh to give an alternative, radical reading of the scriptures that is not violent, that you can get hold of the scriptures. So, so it's really like a, a, a very broad sweep, right. and it, it doesn't it doesn't get it doesn't get hold of everything, um, perhaps as much as it should. But the idea is to give that sweep. 
the Holy Spirit is at the end because I realized that because Jesus releases the Holy Spirit into the world. Right. Uh, and that's and that that is something enormous. And what is the Holy Spirit in that case? What what does he release? He releases the sense, the neurological sense. Yeah. With, within your brain, within your uh, nervous system. Oh, I don't have to be an SOB in my relations right, right. with other people. I can actually love them, and I can I feel like that. I mean, of course, that doesn't hold up all the time. Right. But there's this sense of transformed relationship that you get as a Christian. Yes, I have. I actually wrote down pathway of transformation. Yes, that's, that's right. That's, and that must yeah. the engine that carried a primitive Christianity forward. Because if you had to depend upon Paul's readings, mm -hmm. they're brilliant. Mm -hmm. Even what Peter says, oh, our brother Paul, you know, sometimes it's difficult to understand, you know. Right, right. <laughs> that had to be an engine of transformed relationship that brought, that carried this thing forward. So it's a matter of picking that up today. And when when that transformed relationship was experienced so so uh, phenomenally in, in, in people's lives, they said, well, this is God. You know, if Christ revealed the truth of God in the mind, something we had not experienced before. So he was in the form of God, did not think according to God something to be grafted. Oh, so he's Lord. He's actually God. And then this thing that happens inside of me, this is God too. Right. So then, then you get that three, those three realizations to the glory of the Father. Then you get those three realizations of God in the Christian discourse. And they all have to be held there because it's a matter of being on this, yeah. on this journey. To, toward that, you know, and it's and it's it's not like, and they they they, they struggle over it in the first centuries how to define these things, and, yep. and those are very beautiful uh, efforts on the part of those the the, the, the the fathers and the mothers who wrote those things uh, in the early councils. But it's it's the experience, the radical experience of being a transformed human that is the the Holy Spirit, and that's we kind of end up with that. And even though it's only a page two. <laughs> But I think that's beautiful. I think that so I I I'm sorry I didn't pick up on that um, direct uh, a, a retort to fundamentalism, and that's maybe because just my context. Oh yeah. Yeah, I grew up in a classical liberal yeah. context, and and I don't we don't really say it, although we do actually kind of comment on fundamentalism at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, you make a little comment. I mean, I, and I think I want to just I didn't want to share too much information about the book itself for our listeners because I want them to go and buy the book. Um, but I, you know, the first place where I think it, or, or for me, where it was really obvious. Now I think back to it, is when you made the point that the Garden of Eden is not where the original sin happened. It yes. was Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. And I think you make a very strong case for that. And I think that, that also connects us back with a more honest Jewish reading yes. of yes. of that. Yeah. And it gets us out of that whole mess of original sin. What what a deviation! What a what a what a what a by way and, 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 and uh, yeah, as much as I love Augustine, that guy was brilliant, uh, but boy. Ambrose and Augustine and Nudge, yeah. Augustine really nailed it down, you know. He really did. <laughs> so, and the <laughs> last thing I wanted, I, uh, the other thing I, I really appreciate about it is one of my biggest gripes with Girardian theology, and, mm -hmm. and, and it's a gripe because I'm very, I, I, there are many places where I find myself a part of that school of thought, because, but I'm too cantankerous to, to really find myself ensconced with one school or another. It's just who I am. Um, is, it's the Baptist thing. It's exactly. It's being Baptist. Like, no, no, don't put me in that category. I still need soul freedom. Um, uh, but it's, you know, I think Gerard is fantastic in offering a new analysis or a new look at the atonement, at, especially at crucifixion. Uh, with a very small emphasis on resurrection. Right. And, and yeah. I felt that in your book, you're the first Girardian. I don't know if you call yourself a Girardian, but you certainly are in that school or, or you hang out with those people. I, I would call myself a Girardian. Yeah, I, so this is the first Girardian I've read which starts to really grapple with the resurrection. Right. In an right. honest way that, that offers hope. And so I want to say kudos to you on that. That's, that was yeah. fantastic to read. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, without the resurrection, the New Testament makes zero sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, because, as I said in Virtually Christian, if somebody attacks you for your life, mm -hmm. in one way or the other, you have a duty to defend yourself if there's no resurrection. 
Yeah. Morally. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. There is no other, there's no let out clause. You, you, you are the center of your own life. If you don't care for your own life, you're abandoning the only thing that you have, you know, your own life. Right. So if there's no resurrection, you do have to fight. Yeah. You have to fight. Because that's, to yeah. But, but yeah, the resurrection it, frees you from that. Resurrection totally frees you from that. And, and if it frees it, frees you from it phenomenologically, I can say in the Holy Spirit, okay, I can trust. You know, like Bonhoeffer, it's just incredible that, you know, he mm. stayed, stayed in his jail and he could have escaped. He knew he was going to go to his death, but he did so because he believed in the resurrection, because he believed that humanity didn't end here, and he needed to give his testimony. So that, you know, Christians don't, like we've interpreted the resurrection just as an affirmation of the atonement. Okay, yes, he paid the price, and God, God gave his kind of seal of approval. Boom. Right. Yeah, you did. You did good, son. I'm gonna raise you up. You know? Right, right, yeah. No, it, it's 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 this it's the it's the, the full realization of new humanity. Unless you get the resurrection, then all bets are off. They really are. And um, but in in our experience as as Christians, we know that they're not, and we can't fully explain it. Um, we, we can't, you know, give a physical explanation for it as such. Although, you know. The marvel of creation is itself uh, a kind of model of how that could be if we could, if we exist at all, and there's so much beauty and wonder around us. You know, this other thing should be possible as well. You know, a, 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 a nature according to love. So yes, uh, and, and but then of course, what makes it what it makes it crucial and brings it back to the center is the issue of violence. Yeah. If violence is just you know just a some, something we calculate according to some kind of moral calculus, uh, and that is. There's good violence, bad violence, there's state violence, there's war violence, which is good, individual violence is bad. If we calculate it that way, then it becomes, it's not a human issue. But if it's a, if it, if it's a, a deep and generative, a profound human issue, then of course the resurrection goes to the very heart of that. Excellent. Well, Tony, I want to thank you so much for your time and energy. I want to encourage people, uh, if you're looking for a Bible study to do, uh, this is an excellent, excellent book for your faith communities. Um, if, if you're anything like that, seven stories, how to teach, sorry, seven stories, how to study and teach the nonviolent Bible by Anthony W. Bartlett. And again, it, yeah, <laughs> it's on Hope Time Press. I'll, I'll put all those links on the website and definitely go check out, uh, the, the word half hope.org. But, uh, Tony, thank would, you. Would, would have hope. W-O-O-D. Would have oh, hope. Oh, would have hope. Yeah. All right. Definitely go and check out woodhalfhope.org. Uh, and Tony, thank you very much for your time. So, did you hear that? Did, uh, did Were you able to, to get all of that that uh, Tony and I were able to suss out? I hope so. I thought it was an excellent conversation. I, I really enjoyed it. It was one of those where um, I never found myself looking at the clock and saying, how do I draw this out? I feel like we covered everything and only five minutes has gone by. No, it was a very um, engaging, intellectually stimulating, visually evocative. I, I don't know. It was a good conversation, and I really do hope that you were able to get past some of the sound issues and and give a good listen to the show, um, to the conversation. So I appreciate you listening. I'm so thankful for you listening and being uh, loyal listeners. If this is your first time listening, welcome. I hope to be continuing with this. And, and as I said at the very beginning of the show, uh, I do need some help. I have a lot on my plate, uh, just like everyone does. I'm not saying I'm more busy than anyone else, um, but... The, some of the things that I have, uh, some of the responsibilities I have, mean I have to, means I have to make choices, and I don't want to have to choose to not do this podcast. I'm also I don't want to do the work to start getting actual sponsors who might give me money or finding out ways to get you to give me money. Um, I I I'm just I don't want to go there. I don't know why. I just really don't. So um, the plea is to see if I could get some of your time. Uh, it takes time to listen. It takes at least, if not more, 
three to four times as much to make one episode as it does for you to listen to it. So if, if you feel this urge to say, maybe you could help find guests uh, and, and book guests for me, um, even ideas, but making those connections, that's a real big help. You want to do an interview, a conversation. If you want to talk to someone and, and, they, and, and then send that to me, you know, talk to me ahead of time so we can make sure the format's good, that's, that's great. Um, I always reserve the right to say no if I think you're crazy. You're listening to this podcast, so I think you're heading in the right direction already. If you want to be a guest, if you want to say, hey, I'll be your regular guest for Scripture, um, I'll say, well, let's see how it works. The point is, uh, this podcast can't be done on its own, I, and it's, it really shouldn't be one person. This is a place where um, you can hear conversations about Christianity broadly construed that go deep. Um, that push the boundaries, that take you on the inside of many pastors' lives that may give inspiration and ideas, that may be um, challenging and thought-provoking, but no fluff. That's the one of my rules for myself. No fluff. This is a Christianity that calls for you to work, to think, to strive, uh, just to be better. And I think it's important to have that platform. So send me an email to 12enough, all written out, at gmail.com with any ideas, suggestions, and your offering of time. Keep your money or send it to me as well. I'll send you an address off the air. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. I encourage you to go check out Tony Bartlett's um, webpage, Wood Hath Hope and uh, find out more about what he's doing and check out other other of his books. Uh, Go to the 12 Enough show notes at 12enough.org and you can find, or 12enough.com and you can find the show notes for this show and other shows. Go to the Facebook page, like us on Facebook and all that fun things. Rate the show, like the show, and as always, thank you very much for listening. Well, Enough is a podcast about Christian faith and culture in the modern age. Your hosts were Jonathan Malone, the pastor of the First Baptist Church of East Greenwich, Rhode Island, and Tony Bartlett, the resident theologian for the Bethany House, a project of the Wood Hath Hope organization. The thoughts, ideas, uh, moments of insight, moments of wondering, and just regular brilliance that you heard on this show do not reflect the authors, the, the guests, their friends, their family, the houses they live at, the towns they live at, or anything else of that nature. These were their own ideas. This was their podcast.